Popeye's new Buffalo Ranch chicken sandwich has arrived to sauce things up. The internet's favorite sandwich now comes with a savory sauce made of zesty buffalo and creamy ranch. This delicious sauce is spread on our brioche buns, topped with crunchy pickles and juicy chicken breasts, giving the sandwich you love a bold new kick of flavor. So what are you waiting for? Try Popeye's new Buffalo Ranch chicken sandwich today and see what all the excitement's about. Limited time at participating U.S. restaurants. Love that chicken from Popeye's. Hello, Island friends. Let me tell you about Tim Eccles. Mr. Tim loves Georgia and helped keep our rates low. He knows everything about energy and has led by example. I hope you listen to his radio show called Energy Matters. Join me in supporting Tim. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on that power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. Hey everyone, this is Tim Eccles. I'm Vice Chair of the Georgia Public Service Commission. On the road, down in my old stomping grounds, College Park, uh, near the airport, near very near Woodward Academy, with my friend John at his house. And we're going to be talking about some of his energy improvements today. John, how's it going? Hey, good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, John, you've got solar here, batteries here. What was the, as you were taking this old vintage circa 1920s house, what were some of the challenges that you initially had to kind of turn this into an energy miser machine? Uh, I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, the small footprint and trying to create enough space for our growing family. Uh, but, uh, and it had poor insulation, but we put in spray foam insulation as we expanded it. So that helped. Yeah, I see an EV charger here on the wall. This was one that you kind of created yourself, right? I did. I uh, put this charger in with uh, $40 in parts and my own labor. And you've got a Chevy Bolt we've been riding around in the neighborhood, uh, and it's 2017. I've got a 2017 Volt with a V, uh, but yours is fully electric. Yes, fully electric, 60 kilowatt hour battery, not too big, not too small. Uh, over 200 miles of range, even more if you're in the mountains because it's, you know, one pedal driving, recharging. And um, four of us in the family share that one vehicle, and we do great using our driveway charger that I put in. Yeah, so you don't have a garage, and we're, we're out, we, you've got it here in the driveway. You're close to the MARTA station. Your wife walks to, walks to school uh, to teach here, but you also added solar on top as well, right? Right. Uh, Six-kilowatt system and a 10-kilowatt-hour battery. Now, we did this, we did this in phases. Um, so and when we first started, we couldn't afford a battery. And we only had about three and a half kilowatts of solar panels, and we just sent whatever extra we produced to the grid. Uh, but we, uh, a couple years later, battery prices had basically fallen off a cliff, so we we could justify it, and we added more capacity on the roof to to a six kilowatt system, and then we added in the ten kilowatt hour battery, and um, so I just was. The, the big thing about a battery is that not having one is not not really wise to do because uh, it's kind of like providing trying to provide water to a community without having a dam you know just pulling water straight out of a stream is the, is the best analogy I can come up with because the battery is uh, making smooth things out and we're now sending less than one kilowatt hour to the grid a day so, I mean, the goal is for you to be using as much of your energy, kind of arbitraging it to basically, your house isn't off the grid, but it's almost off the grid. Yeah, it's it's off the grid in the spring and fall when power consumption's down, it's cooler weather, we're not running the heat or the AC, because uh, we're all electric, so we have a heat pump. In the spring and fall, the sun's still pretty high, uh, you're making a lot of energy, you're charging that battery every day, it's discharging at night, so we're almost, you know, most days in the spring and fall, 90% off. Where, where we're not off the grid is in the summer, mainly because 
clouds this gets really cloudy in late afternoon these late afternoon showers in the summer it hampers power but what's good about the summer is that when it's hot and the sun's out and ac's running the panels are also producing so it matches up and then the winter time it's not as uh, much power because you do have it's more cloudy but also uh, the sun's lower in the sky of course and just around the corner, College Park, I just discovered today, has two free charge point chargers. And I uh, understand that you avail yourself of those from time to time. I do. Uh, I uh, When the car gets empty, uh, I could plug it in in my driveway. But, but that, um, you know, it pulls uh, 3.6 kilowatts. So it's you know if the house has got some demand, it's the power from the panels won't be really filling the battery up. So I'll run the car up to College Park uh, since they're free chargers, and um, I walk back home and work from a home office, and then go back and pick it up later. <laughs> yeah, we'll hope the mayor's not listening uh, <laughs> to this. Let me ask you about just the charging infrastructure in general. As more and more people get EVs. What do you think needs to happen so that people have a good consumer experience? Are you concerned about that? I see, uh, you can ask my wife, you know, she has no range anxiety anymore. Uh, she really pushed me on that when I told her I was going to go buy an EV. Once you once you get to driving an EV, the, the anxiety really does dissipate, honestly, because you realize that... I mean, the battery never really gets empty. It's you're never the only time it's an issue is five percent of your driving, which is when you travel. But ninety-five percent of my driving, which is around, you know, locally, um, there's no issue at all. I just get back home and get to my driveway and plug it right back in. I describe it yeah. as range frustration uh, after yeah. after you've gotten over the range anxiety. Then you're just wanting more range and as an as a nine-year ev driver what i find myself doing is i don't when i when i stop that car i want it on a charger somewhere yeah i i I don't feel that at all locally i mean the only frustration that i might get is traveling uh our daughter went to vanderbilt university in in nashville but you know we'd 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 take trips in the bolt there and go like for example when she had to move and stuff and we do that in a day trip so you know it's doable but the only frustration is you're out somewhere where you're not familiar with you're not really sure where the charger is that that might be a little frustration you know is the charger going to work you know because sometimes but the good thing is is that you know the plug share app it's uh, user rated, so every time you use a charger, you know you're encouraged to make a comment and uh, give it a, you know, a rating, and so you get feedback, and you so you kind of already know how that charger is going to be from other people's feedback. All right, true confessions. <laughs> Have you ever been driving your EV and been concerned and turn your turn your AC off and slow the car down to use less yeah. electricity? Yes, I have. That has happened before. Um, but, you know, no big deal, really. I mean, we, we made it. We, yeah, we slowed down. But uh, so far, I've never been banded on the side of the road. So I, here's, here's my regular horror story. If I dare take the Nissan Leaf from Houston to the capital, 54 miles. Um, so I, I got the free peach pass, right? Uh, and so... I like to ride in that lane. Well, people in Atlanta treat that lane like it's the NASCAR lane. And so they they feel slighted if you're not going 80 miles an hour. Well, you can't can't be driving that Nissan Leaf at 80 miles an hour and, and make it home without having to stop. And so here I'm going along about 55 or 60. They're shooting birds at me. They're up on my back bumper. They're, you know, they're passing me almost, you know, pit maneuvering me into the wall, yep. it, you know, and then I need counseling by the time I get home. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not your fault, though. You're you're obeying the law. I mean, even there, uh, I just ignore them because I'm probably still driving five miles over the speed limit. So uh, if they want to be completely lawless, that's their their issue. But 
um, yeah, I, I think everybody needs to slow down. And I, having an EV has taught me to just be patient and actually have fun and make driving on trips. It's it's like an adventure, you know. Just was there's no hurry. I mean, there's no. There's no rule that says I got to fill it up in five minutes and keep going. You know, we pull over and uh, we get a meal every time we stop and and charge. And usually it's already fully charged. These fast chargers now before I can even finish eating the meal. And you're skinny. So obviously you're you're doing something. Maybe you're exercising while you're there. Just in the last few minutes here, you mentioned adventure and you're an adventuresome guy. You rode a bike across the country when you were a young man tell us about that yeah um when i was in college one summer i I wanted to see what the country was like because everybody says it's a dangerous world out there and i wanted to prove them wrong so uh i actually flew but i took a bike to the west coast and boxed it up in a cardboard box got to the west coast unboxed it and uh i was i grew up in birmingham alabama and uh um I unboxed the bike, put it back together, the pedals back on it, I rode it back home. And I did some detours uh, up into uh, northern Minnesota where uh, I had been working, you know, at summer camp up there in the other summers when I wasn't riding a bike. And anyway, it wound up being uh, 3,300 miles. And you wrote a wrote a book about it in part in just our last 30 seconds tell folks where they can find the book and what the name of it is yeah so the name of the book is uh leaving the suburbs it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek uh title but uh, the subtitle is uh a cross-continental ride through the front lines of the climate crisis and uh it's under my name john ernest duke and it's on Amazon. Well, thank you for spending the afternoon with me, showing me all the cool stuff that you've been involved in. Good luck with all of your efforts to keep College Park as it should be. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Tim Eccles. Stick around. Another segment coming up in just a minute. You're listening to Energy Matters. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. You want to make your car, boat, jet ski look really cool? Use my friends at Jim Wrap. That's G-E-M Wrap. Just go to Facebook and put in Gym Wraps and you'll see what I'm talking about. Hey, Tim Eccles here, host of Energy Matters. Solar's growing like crazy in Georgia, and I certainly say buyer beware. It's great to have companies like Creative Solar USA on the job. Russ, why do folks need to reach out to you? Tim, we're going on to our 14th year, and we have the best staff and most experienced installers in the state to get the job done right. You can find out more at creativesolarusa.com or call 770-485-7438. That's creativesolarusa.com. BMVW is the place in Metro Atlanta to get your used hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or fully electric car. They're located on the south side near the airport, but it is well worth the drive. Go online to look at their inventory at ev-hybrid.com and set up a time to see the vehicle or even drive it for up to three days. I don't know of anywhere else in Metro Atlanta that you can do that. That's ev-hybrid.com, the best deal in town. ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters. You guys know that I love charitable organizations and great ideas that folks are doing. We've featured Solar Light for Africa on our show before and a number of others. Today on this segment, I've got Rob Smith. You're going to love his accent. Uh, I've known him for a decade or so. But he has a very cool project, a number of them going on uh, in Africa right now. And we're going to talk about first his overall work and then the electric ferries uh, that he's working on. Welcome to Energy Matters. Thank you, Tim. It's really good to talk to you. Hey, tell me about the genesis of your organization and what your mission is. 
So, Tim, you know, we, we met when I responded to the AIDS crisis and wanted to just do my part to care for orphans that were, uh, you know, lost their parents through the AIDS crisis in Africa. And in so doing, I began to realize that the biggest need that the orphans had, in fact, was employment after we had raised them. And so that, as an entrepreneur, that got me looking at what I could do in Africa. And what I was noticing is that, you know, us generous Americans, I mean, we're the most generous country in the world by far, but our generosity, giving free stuff to poor people, this was keeping them poor. And so we started looking at economic opportunities to create jobs. And we're boat builders in Seattle. And so we decided we would start looking at waterways. And so we have ferries in uh, Tanzania and Uganda and are planning to put a, a massive ferry system in the city of Lagos in Nigeria. And uh, to do that, um, to make money, obviously, but to really change the economic life of the poor people. Yeah, I've supported missionaries in Togo, uh, and he's told me stories. In fact, my own son has gone over there on a mission trip as well as my mother-in-law. I mean, there's a lot of little tiny scooters over there. There's a lot of broken down vehicles that, you know, that they barely can keep running. I mean, transportation is a real issue over there. Yeah, and especially in the urban areas because uh, they haven't had much money for infrastructure, so the roads are designed in the 50s, and in the meantime, the, the, the cities have, you know, are 100 times bigger. And so in the city of Lagos, for example, if you're poor, you cannot afford to live on the island. It's like being in New York. It's literally as expensive as Manhattan. So you have to commute in. There's no tunnels. There's no tra- trains. There's no ferries. Uh, there's two bridges to bring millions of people in, and so it'll literally take you three or four hours to get to work and three or four hours to get home and uh, with water everywhere. And so there's a great opportunity there to put a comprehensive ferry system in and really change the lives of poor people while we make money. So the evolution of how you've helped these orphans start to be entrepreneurs and make money, what are some of the things that you've done and some of the lessons that you've learned? Well, you know, obviously we want to educate people, so we spend a lot of time just teaching them basic principles of business. You know, we not only run our own businesses there, but we help other entrepreneurs to understand just basic things, how to manage cash flow, how to collect bad debt, how to get your idea and protect your idea. And so we spend a lot of time mentoring others. And what's really been a delight, you know, our first ferry we put together on the shores of Lake Victoria. We built the parts in Everett, Washington, but we put the ferry together on the shores of Lake Victoria uh, where there was no electricity, pit toilets, and a bunch of unemployed men, several of whom now are qualified marine experts, either in diesel engines or in navigation um, or just in, in, in being a bosun on the, on, the, on, the, uh, on the ferry. And it's just been a delight to see men who really had no hope and no job now being employed, married with children and have dignity in life. Yeah, so when you think about a ferry, I mean, I think about the Staten Island Ferry, um, maybe um, out in Seattle, I think there, I, I saw a ferry going to and fro, maybe that casino out there. I mean, are ferries still a relevant form of transportation in the U.S.? Um, yeah, they are in certain areas. You know, we, we're not nearly as, as sort of, we don't have as many inlets where ferries are needed as many other parts of the world. Um, but certainly in Africa, the advantage of a ferry is they've got some really strong waterways. And so you, you, all, you only have to create the vehicle. You don't have to create the roads and the infrastructure because God has created the infrastructure with a river or with a, a reservoir or, or the ocean. And so uh, ferries is a very good way to quickly repair infrastructure while all the other things like rail and, um, and bridges can be done over time. You know, we talk all the time on this show about the duty cycle for electric vehicles and how that determines what vehicle you would use, whether it could work or not. You know, how long is that battery life? You know, is it a routine route every day? And we see routine routes like UPS or others being able to use this more than others. Are your ferries running a routine route well, we're just getting into electric ferries. We've designed an electric ferry system for the city of Lagos. And one of the problems with Lagos, it's this massive waterway, but it's very shallow. And so traditional ferry companies have come and offered the city a ferry system as long as they spend a couple of hundred million dredging and getting the, the waterways deeper. And so we came up with this brilliant idea. The, the, the issue with electric ferries is that you run out of power pretty quickly. You need, you know, once you get above 500 horsepower per engine, um, it's not, not really viable. We all dream about it. We talk about it. And so we thought, well, rather than try and create something that is tough to create, 
let's just do a lots and lots of little ferries. And then we started looking at the sort of an Uber model. And uh, we can run for an hour, hour and a half at a good steady speed. And because in those small boats, the cost of the batteries is the main component, you could either park the ferry and just pick up another one because the rest of the, the fiberglass and the seats are pretty cheap. Or um, we've got a couple of designs where you pull the battery out and just put another battery in. And so we go up to about a 45-passenger ferry with electric. Beyond that, then we use diesel or hybrid. What is the benefit to using electric? I mean, why wouldn't you just use diesel on everything? Why did you choose electric? Well, when diesel was four or five gallons an hour, on a commuter ferry system, it has to be subsidized because with commuting ferries, you're always commuting empty one way to go back and pick up the next load. You're not loaded both ways, so your economics are really cut in half as opposed to a cruise boat or some other kind of ferry. And so what we it was just not viable. It had to be subsidized, and in Africa, it's just hard to get a reliable subsidy from an African government. And so with uh, Tesla coming on and showing us that uh, you know you have a limited life at really about a sixth of the price of of uh, from an African perspective of the energy costs, it made uh, a profitable ferry system, which is very unusual with c- uh, commuting ferry. And so um, we are now able to deadhead empty back because of the cheaper cost of electricity versus diesel fuel. Now diesel fuel has gone up, you know, with the current situation to over six seven dollars a gallon. And in fact, the diesel ferries in Lagos now have all been sidelined because they cannot afford to operate. If you're just joining us, I'm talking to Rob Smith about his electric ferry project in Africa. Uh, just a couple of minutes left. First, where can folks find out and maybe see pictures of this? Yeah, so if you go to earthwiseventures.com, uh, um, you can see our story on, on, on how we're going. And then also our company in Everett is thaneelectric.com, where we make even pleasure boats for for. Um, pleasure use on, on lakes and, and uh, on the ocean here. We have a little 16-footer that can go 25 knots for an hour and a half, and uh, just a lot of fun. So thaneelectric.com or earthwiseventures.com. And how do you spell Thane? T-H-A-I-N, Scottish name. It's about my grandmother's maiden name. I remember going to Germany the first time in 2012, and they had a solar boat, as they said, uh, and it had solar panels on it. I mean, it had a diesel engine, too. It wasn't really running on solar. It was more of a, a showboat, shall we say. But your electric boats, are they truly running on that battery power? Yeah, they were 100% electric. And we're, in fact, we, we've are taken our first ferry in Viamani, which, because it's diesel fuel, doesn't allow us to make a profit on Lake Victoria, and stretching it to 120 feet, making it a 36-passenger cruise boat, and it'll be all electric. It'll have a generator in case we go through several days of um, of no sun, which is unusual there. We're on the equator um, just to recharge the batteries. So it'll be a 100% electric cruise boat. that will go about seven knots, and uh, we've already got a contract with the German tour company for 2024 where they are, have already chartered it at, at full retail prices. And so not only will it be completely electric, probably the first completely electric cruise boat in the world, but the number of jobs we create in so doing would just be fantastic. So what's this rule about not making a profit on Victoria? I don't understand that. Oh, we didn't make a profit just because it's a very, very poor area and the cost of running the ferry um, are equivalent to what people will pay us. So we barely make it. We, we hold our own, but we, we just don't make much money. And electrifying that boat will turn it around and we'll really go from being break-even to making probably about a million dollars a year on a, an electric ferry on Lake Victoria. We're very excited about it. You know, these poor countries, they're, you know, there's a lot of ingenuity. I remember going to the Philippines back in, I guess, the uh, early 90s, and they had those leftover World War II jeeps that they turned into jeepneys, and they were their taxis, and they had rigged up the back of them with kind of two benches running long ways, and you would you would hop in, and there was a, a where your, your normal back glass would be for a pickup. It was just open, and you would hand your coin to the driver or pass it up through the crowd, and they basically took something left over and created an entire transportation system with it. 
Yeah, you know, it's, it, it, we as humans are so innovative. You go to Lagos, you know, there's just thousands of old VW microbuses where they've done the same thing. And uh, you go to to uh, Uganda, to Dar es Salaam, for example, and they've got all these little three-wheel scooters. And, uh, you know, we're, we're designed by God to be creative and, and innovative. And, and uh, even in poor areas like that, just seeing human innovation is so inspiring. You know, just in our last minute, what's the greatest financial need you have right now, and how can people give? So we're looking for investors, and you know, my whole passion is just to tell people who care for the poor and are inclined to write a check to give them something for free, don't do that because you don't end poverty by giving people subsidies. You end poverty by creating economic life. And so uh, just pick up the phone and find some in- entrepreneur that needs capital and write them a check. If they fail, you get the same thing as a, as a tax deduction. But if they, if they succeed, you create economic life for the poor. Thanks for being on Energy Matters. Great. Thanks, Tim. This is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Stick around. Another segment coming right up. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Logan Booker here, producer of Energy Matters, and I want to tell you about the Advanced Power Alliance. For more than 20 years now, the Advanced Power Alliance has been leading the energy transition in America's traditional energy states. They advocate for wind energy, solar power, and energy storage, all while partnering with traditional resources to ensure that America has abundant, affordable, cleaner energy to power our homes, our lives, as well as our economy. With the growth of solar and advanced storage and power generation technologies, every state now has the opportunity to be a leading energy state. Advanced Power Alliance is proud to partner with the Georgia Large Scale Solar Association and work with the Public Service Commission, Georgia Power, and their customers as Georgia continues to be one of America's leading renewable energy states. You can learn more about the Advanced Power Alliance at poweralliance.org. That's poweralliance.org. You've heard about Gem Cars on Energy Matters. Made by Polaris in Anaheim, California. These street-legal, small electric vehicles go where golf carts are not allowed. Equipped with seatbelts, headlights, optional doors, and a tag, Gem Cars and Trucks are perfect for shuttles, corporate, or college campus use. In fact, Georgia Tech has over 100 of them. The new generation Gems have many options when selecting the battery type, onboard chargers, and enclosures to suit the climate. Go to GemCarService.com to find out more. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Tim Eccles from Marlin Gas Services. In addition to supplying natural gas in emergency situations, Marlin Gas Services provides temporary fuel supply during planned pipeline maintenance and other scheduled outages, or to help customers meet code compliance. Customers include large companies, utilities, commercial businesses, industrial facilities, and even the Weston Hotel and Convention Center in Savannah when that pipe was busted under the Savannah River. Visit MarlinGas.com to learn more. That's MarlinGas.com. Hello, my name is Juliette Chavit, and I am the founder of the Spark Grid Customer Education Symposium. I am very honored and pleased today to be here with Commissioner Tim Eccles from Georgia. Um, Commissioner Eccles is the recipient of this year's Smart Grid Customer Education Innovation Award. He is the innovator of the year. Um, Commissioner Eccles has been the commissioner in Georgia for more than a decade and has been responsible for tremendous amounts of success and transformation in the state. And we're sitting down today with him to get a better understanding of his perspective on where the state is going and his thoughts on the role of innovation and customer education. But thank you, Commissioner Eccles, for being here today. Thank you, and it's an honor to receive this award. I'm so excited about some of the things happening in my state and beyond. Okay, so let's let's start with your state. Um, as I mentioned, you've been here for um, over a decade in this role, and I'm sure you've seen tremendous amount of growth um, and innovation. Uh, our industry has gone through the deployment of AMI and Smart Grid, and there are new applications coming every day. What do you see, what have you seen over the past 10 years 
um, you know, in this in this area in the state? And and where do you see the state going? The growth of solar and its acceptance with my GOP colleagues uh, in Georgia has been significant. It's allowed us to really make great progress, particularly with utility scale solar. And I I had hope for this. I've done educational seminars across the state for the last 10 years, but it actually happened. And I'm having Republicans ask me, when are we going to get more solar in my community? I think EV acceptance with Republicans is my next great challenge uh, because the Republicans in Georgia just have not embraced it. Clearly, the pandemic has brought us a hybrid workplace and it's accelerated distance learning for children and adults alike. So I do see the outcome of the pandemic as obviously being significant in how it's, how it's changing the way that we work. But if we look back in the last century and getting America electrified, clearly the biggest challenge I think ahead of us is getting America connected. Uh, connectivity is huge because it impacts so many other aspects of life. And our Public Service Commission is very engaged with uh, being a part of the to do that. This is such a gigantic challenge. I don't really see any one agency being able to conquer it. To that point, who do you see as playing key roles um, in the success and of, of this connectivity and and how, um, how critical that is right now in a post-COVID environment? What players, what sorts of um, sectors in the, in the industry? Well, the newest player in Georgia is our electric membership cooperatives and partnerships that they are creating as a result of a law that was changed here and our involvement with setting poll attachment fees for them. So I think partnerships, collaborations are are really good. So you've got, got companies from out of state coming in, working with a local utility like an EMC that already has uh, relationships with their members. And we're seeing EMCs basically say, we're going to provide connectivity to 100% of our members. And that kind of an outreach is substantial. So I, I do think those players are going to be significant as we bring traditional cable or fiber uh, to people. But these low orbiting satellites that uh, are being launched out of uh, out of the Dragon and uh, and and who knows who else will do this in the future, I think have the ability to really accelerate this and throw this additional variable in there. So it's just a matter of how long will it be before the quality is where it needs to be, where the quantity is where it needs to be with low orbiting satellites. But I, I do think that probably is the biggest variable for connectivity. That's that's excellent. And um, we certainly are seeing connectivity play a role in smart cities and certainly collaboration in, in this area. Are you seeing any work in smart city in the state? And, um, and what role are the utilities playing in this area? Connectivity is the backbone of any smart city deployment. And certainly we've selected one strip uh, in front that goes from Georgia Tech and the Coke World headquarters down to Pont City Market is our test corridor. So I think we'll have a lot of different innovation happen there. I know um, a while back before the pandemic, I rented a bunch of low-speed electric vehicles and invited sustainability leaders from all over our city to join me. I borrowed the Kia factory headphones that they use for their tour, and we had about low-speed vehicles going along this corridor, you know, with everyone with headsets, stopping at various places and hearing about some of the things that were going to happen. So it was a really cool way to educate these sustainability leaders about uh, about a technology that might be scaled up from just North Avenue to many other places in our city. And that is such a great example of why you're receiving this award and how hands-on you are in this transformation, such a critical part of that and not just setting policy, but implementing that policy. So I think congratulations on that as well. Um, what sorts of challenges do you see facing the state in terms of some of this adoption of, of connectivity and energy innovation? Are, are there any challenges that you have to overcome in the state? Well, for me as a utility regulator, uh, clearly finishing Plant Vogel, our nuclear plant, the only state building new nuclear in the, in the U.S., uh, that would have been my answer three years ago. 
amidst the Westinghouse bankruptcy, but it appears that we have survived that and that we will finish with unit three in December and then unit four a year from December. Now, our utilities are being asked to help cities fulfill their 100% clean energy goals. California has shown us how difficult this can be. And so my advice obviously is, hey, let's work collaboratively to Atlanta, to Athens, to Augusta, Savannah, these other large cities. If you want to reach these goals, you're gonna need to work with the utility in order to be able to accomplish this because you don't have the ability and the wherewithal within your city to do such a mammoth task. And it requires a lot of cooperation. What role do you see for consumers in, in the future of energy reduction? Certainly there's more EV infrastructure. People are motivated to maybe buy, drive or buy an EV. And do you see um, a need for utilities to do more to educate their customers about their role in the future of smarter energy? Clearly microgrids are gaining momentum. More people are talking about them, but there are challenges to doing microgrids, unintended consequences. So I think it's gonna be harder to do microgrids than we, than we think. I know we're experimenting it, at Georgia Tech with a microgrid and depending on what you're trying to support, whether it's a clinic or I'll say a health clinic versus a data center, it's gonna depend on your mixture uh, of energy sources. But consumers, I think, not all of them, but there are a segment of consumers that really wanna play a role in the future of energy. And I think some of them will turn their home into an energy plant by adding solar. Others may play a role in just using less energy and being smarter about it, maybe because now they have a smart thermostat or other smart appliances, or maybe they're getting a text message on their phone that reminds them about how much energy they used yesterday and what the temperature is going to be today. Uh, still others are just trying to survive and they don't have the bandwidth to really think about technology and being smarter. And so we've got to step up, I think, as leaders, as utilities and be able to help our neighbors who are in trouble. That's why I'm so proud of the EMCs for their Operation Roundup program, the power company and the gas company providing low income assistance and scholarships available. And of course, what's coming out of the federal government on that. But it, it takes a lot of effort to be able to shore up a large metropolitan area. And I think we still have a long way to go. And um, I hope you'd agree with me that this is a very um, exciting time to be in, in this industry and to watch this energy transformation. On a personal note, are there specific things that excite you most or more about you know, what's happening, what's coming our way, even if it's not currently in the market? I mean, clearly batteries are the next big shiny object. Hydrogen is sitting there knocking on the door wanting to be the shiny object, but I think batteries are in line first and uh, we're going to continue to see more batteries. I think for me, as the president puts more emphasis on electric vehicles and we see more adoption of, of electric vehicles that are sitting in these garages or at these homes with this battery, essentially a rolling battery. The, the technology that excites me the most is being able to plug that car in and feed back energy onto the grid. So vehicle to grid and back vehicle and being able to aggregate those devices uh, just like you would aggregate a, a battery or a diesel generator or something else like that. So I, I think that a lot of people, you know, they're looking forward to the environmental benefits of electric vehicles. I, I think for me, it's getting them connected to the grid and how can we manage that grid better because we have all these rolling batteries connected, some of them small, some of them large, maybe like a school bus. Well, we are very lucky to have a commissioner that has such an appreciation for innovation and technology and a fearlessness about it with understanding the the business case for for these um, investments but regardless the the energy and the technology coming our way 
Um, it's so exciting to have someone like you in your role. And I do want to say that this year we are honoring we are honoring game changers in the industry, and we most certainly identify you as a game changer. And you will continue to be an important part of the future of energy transformation in this country. And um, I want to thank you for your time. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters, here with Jeff Pratt of Green Power EMC. Jeff, more and more EMCs are offering solar to their members, and you're seeing it grow like crazy across rural Georgia. Tim, you're right. Co-ops in Georgia are doing a great job of deploying solar across the state. In fact, they're leaders in the country with respect to engaging customers and deploying large-scale solar to benefit all their members. Hey, contact your EMC and ask them about their solar energy policy, or just Google Green Power EMC. This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Hey, Tim Eccles, back for another segment at Pont City Market. Casey, there is a place in there uh, that serves these little pork rolls, and I'm going in there as soon as we're done because I, I absolutely love it. And if you stick around, I'll take you in there and buy you one. All right, that sounds good. So, so I don't eat pork, but part of the, the goal here, Tim, is to go find some food after we record this. So uh, definitely we'll, we'll take you up on your recommendations. All right, well, we've got Zoe Moore in this segment. Zoe, you went to Agnes Scott, Casey's from Decatur, um, and Agnes Scott has done a lot of very cool sustainability projects over there. Oh, yeah, for sure. I worked in the Office of Sustainability at Agnes, so I know all about what we're doing, where we're growing, and we just have a new director. Um, so I'm very excited to meet her and see where Agnes is going. I've been on the campus many times, obviously not as a student because it's a girls-only school, but you've got the solar out there on the soccer field. you got the solar over the parking deck. you got the geothermal powering the old, the old administration building. Y'all are proud of a lot of the cool things that you've done. Oh, for sure. Agnes is definitely growing, and I think we are definitely a leader in how colleges can be more innovative in their sustainability practices. But I'm getting my master's in secondary education, hopefully to teach young, the next generation, on how to be more sustainable. Um, environmental education is something I'm really passionate about. Like Agnes Scott, they've got uh, you know a lot of solar there. They've got a really cool project called the Water Hub, where they're recycling a lot of the water. Are, are they doing anything over at, at Mercer uh, around sustainability? Well, I can't too speak too well on Mercer. I only go there for school at night, but um, I think they are doing pretty well in it. So I, I want to say the wrong things, but I'm going to say yes. <laughs> You're from Little Rock, uh, I think, right? And uh, so you've you've transplanted here to Georgia. A lot of rice grown in Arkansas. There's a very cool program out there that an EMC did called Pay As You Save that I brought here to Georgia. It's called Rise Here, but it provides about $8,000 of energy assistance for a low-income person's home, and they don't have to spend any of their money on it. They don't have to have their credit tied up. It's not going to follow them if they move. It really is a great program, and I was inspired by Arkansas to do that. Oh, well, thank you so much. And, you know, I can't say I'm only 23. I don't know much about paying energy bills, but I do know how they impact low-income community families, um, just the mental and physical stress it can put on a family um, and the, the children's family. You know, how can you do your homework and be successful at school if you don't have energy at home? So definitely providing income and assistance to families who need it is definitely something that we need for not only climate change improvements, but just getting our economy back up and making just overall physical and mental health higher. Well, we're here on Earth Day, and there's a lot of different booths here, a lot of things people can learn. What are some of the things that you're really focused on now, you know, in your own personal life as well as your professional life? 
Yeah, so I am the Education Outreach Coordinator for MACOR, Metro Lansing Energy Corps, where we focus on energy, uh, equitable energy efficiency programs on retrofitting uh, through youth leadership, racial social justice, and uh, local collaboration. So really going into communities and show like how retrofitting can be a powerful form of gentrification resistance, a way to lower your energy bills, and just overall getting back on your feet for low-income community families. Casey, you've heard me say it a million times on this show that if I had a choice between putting a solar panel on a low-income person's home and putting six inches of insulation in their attic, that I would go for the insulation. And why would we do that, Casey? Well, just to be clear, everyone should do that before putting a solar panel on their home, because if you don't have to use as much energy, you don't have to produce as much energy, so you don't have to spend as much money on solar to begin with. And, you know, we talked in the previous segment about how important connectivity is, right? The ability to log on wherever you are to work, to go to school, whatever it is. And I think and to the point that, that you're making here is this idea around, you know, a lot of families really have this high energy burden, right? They're spending a lot of their money on energy, which is really necessary for people to live. And, you know, sometimes it's a choice between food and medicine or uh, and energy. And, you know, that's not a choice that is, you know, easy to make or that in, you know, this country we should necessarily want people to be there. So, like, as you're engaging in the communities, like, like what is what are you seeing? What are you finding? Yeah, so for sure the negative consequences on just not being able to pay your bills, the stress that leads to families, um, you have to turn to other sources such as maybe taking out a loan just to pay for your bill. Um, that can lead to a cycle of poverty and debt could be just for paying this one bill or even a threat of homelessness because you're forced, you know, maybe have utility shutoffs, um, as well as just continuing that cycle of not knowing where to go or where your next bill is going to be paid for. And like you said, having a choice between food and medicine or utility services, you know, that shouldn't be a... a a choice that people had to make, you know, a basic right for just having the lights on in your house to be able to live, go to work, um, educate yourself, and just be overall healthy too. So, families, they do appreciate the help, you know, just having someone out there knowing to care. And um, as from an education perspective, knowing that there are other resources out there, you know, just that lack of knowledge is just so crucial. Just saying, like, hey, there's someone out there looking for me. I think that's been the biggest impact for me, knowing that. I don't know where to go, but there are resources out there. It's I don't know where to find them, and that's where Maycourt comes in to help. And, and that's just the biggest, knowing that they're not alone in this. And so, Hey, she's Zoe. I'm Tim. Uh, he's Casey, and we're at Pond City Market. We're talking energy. We're talking energy burden. Casey, you know, when we think about a person's percentage of their, I guess, their gross salary that's going towards electricity or heat uh, or gasoline uh, I'm gonna throw water uh, in there as well if we can figure out ways to help them reduce that percentage and I think one of the biggest ways that we've seen here in Atlanta with uh, now over 85,000 ratepayers on a prepay program Casey where they're saving 11 percent and they haven't had to go out and buy insulation. They haven't had to get an electric car, do solar. They simply are thinking about their bill more frequently. Why is that so magical? Well, it's just the awareness. I mean, Zoe, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you don't have a lot of direct experience, you know, paying your utility bill yet. You'll get there, right? Um, but you know, when you don't have that experience, you, you aren't necessarily aware of, you know, what is it that's driving it? You know, if you ask people just off the street, you know, what do you use the most electricity on? A lot of people think it's, you know, their cell phone or their computer or whatever, because they're always plugging it in. Well, you know what, that's a really tiny bit of your energy use. And the things that really drive it are things like your HVAC, right, when you've got the air conditioning cranking on a, a hot summer day. Um, you know, if you've got an electric uh, dryer or, you know, dishwasher, those kinds of things really drive a lot of the energy use and, and prepay is one of those things that you can layer on. You mentioned insulation earlier. You mentioned the RISE program earlier. Like all of these things are things that we can engage with people regardless of where they are on the income spectrum to help them be aware of their energy use, use energy more smartly. And, you know, Tim, just real briefly, uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, we've seen when we talk to young people and talk about utilities is they think about their bank because they've got a bank account, but they maybe aren't, you know, like, like you, Zoe, they haven't necessarily been paying their utility bill. It's, you know, part of their rent or parents have been covering whatever it is, right? And so just getting some of that ed education, it sounds like what you're doing out there. 
Yeah, and you make a great point. You know, like your refrigerator, dishwasher is still a high energy burden and just not knowing just daily living how that can increase your energy bill so definitely that education and awareness of how to lower those prices um, and again just how retrofitting can benefit that you know um, just insulation air sealing um, you know just small practices that you can DIY yourself that there you don't have to spend a load on this just small practices can make a dent in your in your income um, what you pay in your energy bill so just having those resources to know like I don't have to have a solar panel for example I can smart small and I can make a huge difference slowly getting there just in our last minute Zoe what are some things that you want people to know here on Earth Day going forward that they can do they can participate in you know to make these things work Oh, man, as a teacher, just education, just researching, you know, I think people want to know what to do and how to do it. They just don't know how. So definitely just taking that initiative to research, talk to people, conversations like this, events like this, going out to learn more. Everyone can do something. You don't have to be an activist. You don't have to be a politician. Everyone has a role to play. Everyone can find something that they're passionate about and can make a difference in this earth. Yeah, Casey, final words uh, from you about what folks can do responsible actions they can take. Yeah, well, I, we've talked about a lot of them here, right? So, you know, if you're thinking about being more efficient, you know, putting insulation in your home is going to make a big difference. Looking into something like the prepay program, just being aware of your energy use um, and and really, you know, thinking more about it and, and understanding what it is that's driving your bill. Yes, but also kind of where your energy is coming from and how you're using it. Hey, we want to thank our live audience for being here today. Yeah, at Pont City Market, Atlanta Green Market, as a part of our live recorded broadcast. Can you do that, Casey? Can you have a live pre-recorded broadcast? I think we're doing it right now, Tim. <laughs> and hey, Jamestown, if you're listening up there in that office, would you block off that EV charger so I can get to it and charge my car and keep the Jeeps and Mercedes out of the spots? Thanks so much, Zoe, for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. This is a great conversation. Hey, everybody, you're listening to Energy Matters. Thanks a lot for being on. Logan Booker here, producer of Energy Matters, and I want to tell you about the Advanced Power Alliance. For more than 20 years now, the Advanced Power Alliance has been leading the energy transition in America's traditional energy states. They advocate for wind energy, solar power, and energy storage, all while partnering with traditional resources to ensure that America has abundant, affordable, cleaner energy to power our homes, our lives, as well as our economy. With the growth of solar and advanced storage and power generation technologies, every state now has the opportunity to be a leading energy state. Advanced Power Alliance is proud to partner with the Georgia Large Scale Solar Association and work with the Public Service Commission, Georgia Power, and their customers as Georgia continues to be one of America's leading renewable energy states. You can learn more about the Advanced Power Alliance at poweralliance.org. That's poweralliance.org. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you.